The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This week on the Mike Wise Show, it's the return of one of our favorite guests. He brings positive energy all the time, and now he's even on the verge of becoming a movie star. He battled Shaquille O'Neal in the NBA Finals not once but twice, and he's coming right up. But first, Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? As always, thank you, Darlene. The NBA playoffs are underway, and our guest this week knows a thing or two about that topic. He's our good pal, Todd McCulloch, joining us from Bainbridge Island, Washington, the state of Washington. Hello, Todd, and welcome back to the program. How are you doing, Mike? It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I love the uh, pinball uh, collection in the background. Brings me back to my adolescence when uh, I think Williams, the Williams Company, had a thing called Time Machine. It was my favorite pinball game. You don't happen to have that one, do you? I don't have Time Machine, but I'm with you. I love uh, I love Williams. Unfortunately, they stopped making games, but uh, there's a company that's bringing it back, and they're redoing the classic Williams, so you may be able to find that one uh, coming out again soon. Everybody uh, that's been on, that's heard the, our program or heard the Pure Hoops Media podcast you've been on knows uh, about your pinball collection. Sadly enough, um, my collection is Converse basketball shoes that I wore at various points of my um, bad NAIA career that never got past junior college, basically. And I have like 30 pairs of Converse that are, that are worn that I keep in my garage as some kind of I don't know, homage to the career I never had. Do you, do you have anything sentimental like that, Todd? Uh, it's pretty much, uh, pretty much all pinball machines. I do have some, some old shoes that I wore. Converse were, were great. I remember kicking around in those as a, as a kid. I mean, they got the, they had the weapons and they had all the, the big oh, hands. The I bird mean, magic they're, weapons were awesome. They're just, they're just a cool shoe. They're just, they're the epitome of cool. They got the, the low cuts, the mid cuts, and then the, the knee highs. I was so upset when Nike bought them and then they just became like a, um, you know, a fashion thing. They stopped making basketball shoes. It depressed me. Hard to, hard to compete these days. Yeah. Yeah. On your previous appearance back in October of 2019, the season was on the verge of beginning. Who knew that 10 months later we'd still be playing and there's a lot, a lot of season left to go. Crazy times. I mean, did you even see, I mean, nobody could imagine this, but do you even believe we're playing right now? Uh, no, and I'm certainly glad that they are, that they found a, a safe way to do it and, uh, and to put a, a very high quality product on the, on the court. And it's uh, obviously the circumstances are unbelievable, but I, I feel like they had the, the players' safety as paramount. And, uh, and I, I feel like they're pulling it off and I'm, I'm enjoying it. I think it's, it's fantastic that they're able to do it in a safe way and, and bring us high quality NBA basketball and finish out the season with a champion the way we'd like our seasons to be ending. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to buy into it a lot more. I was really worried at the start and um, obviously they haven't had any cases and I, and, I, and I thought, well, they're in this bubble and they're not part of the real world and players are going to be going crazy with not seeing their families. Um, they probably are, but it's also it's turned into some great basketball. I'm shot, the optics of not seeing the fans have kind of gotten used to it and I'm just watching the ball game now. Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, the nursing home outside Seattle was sort of the first real case of deaths in this country from the COVID-19. Hopefully you and your family have managed to navigate these uh, last months in good shape. We've been, uh, we've, been, we've been safe and we've been pretty lucky. And so the county that I'm in, the community, and the numbers are, are uh, lower than, than some of the other hotspots. So we're just, we're just trying to do the best we can to, uh, to keep everybody safe in the, in the community. But so far, we're doing pretty well. Does the McCulloch family, um, do you guys ever get on the, the ferry and go to Seattle, go to Pike's Market, go, you know, do any of that anymore? Or is that sort of, uh, you just, uh, you quarantine yourselves on the island? Uh, pretty much quarantine on the island right now, but uh, you know, pre-COVID, we were in Seattle quite a bit. The uh, I, I do love Pike Place Market. When I when I first got University of Washington, my you know wife and I started uh, dating, and uh, and she took me to Pike Place Market because I'd never uh, never done that. So she showed me around a little bit, and and uh, you know while we were down, I, I had a uh, I had a friend in town, uh, and he said, uh, hey, when, you know, when I come visit you guys, I want to see this Pike Place Market, and I w- I want to go to the fish market, and I want to catch a fish because. Uh, because Sean Kemp did that on uh, NBA Action, I said, "Well, I've been there with my with my girlfriend, and uh, now my wife, and you don't get to catch the fish. You buy the fish, and then they throw the fish, and they catch." And he's like, "No, I saw Sean Kemp do it on NBA Action, and that's what I want to do." I said, "That's not that's not how it works." So we go down there, and I think I may have been a sophomore or something, and and they say, "Hey, Todd, come down here. I want to catch a fish." And my friend's like, "See, I told you." I'm like, "Okay, here we go. Get the camera ready." So he gets his camera ready, and I'm, you know, they're trying to tell these me. Are, to let to let people know, I mean, cut you off. These are like full-on salmon uh, caught either on the coast of Seattle or Alaska, and they're monstrous. They're yeah, big fish, and those. So they're trying to give me some pointers on how to catch this thing, and I'm I got a little bit of an ego, and I'm like, look, uh, catching is what I do. I got this. I don't need a lot of help in this fish department. Uh, they were right. I did need help. They threw. You're supposed to like cushion the fish and grab the tail. It skipped off my hand, boom, hit the wall, and this beautiful salmon just slid down the wall. I think I ruined it. I got a picture of the fish, you know, midair. Uh, and then a few years later, I had a friend come to Seattle. He said, I want to see the market. And I said, you know, get your camera ready, because sometimes I get noticed. I'm kind of a big deal. People know me here. I might have a chance to catch a fish. So I come down there, and they say, uh, hey, hey, uh, come on down. And I'm like, here we go. And he goes, you are Brian Scalabrini, aren't you? I'm like, no. <laughs> but uh they let me catch the fish anyway and this time i cushioned the fish i caught the tail i think they they threw us it was like you know one of those places where they put up something on the wall like keep an eye out for this guy i'd ruined one salmon they threw me a softball the next time i caught it and that person got to eat their fish <laughs> all you white journeymen look alike damn it that's true that is true <laughs> uh before we talk basketball uh my producer bruce bernstein sent me one of the great texts of all time and it involved you on the verge of making your mark on the silver screen. Tell us about the film project you're involved with. Got a, a friend here on Bainbridge Island named Bobby Rowe, who's a filmmaker. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of his projects kind of got put on hold, like a lot of things are, are right now. 
and another uh, producer who had had their project put on hold said, I, I still want to make a movie during this time. So he tasked a, a bunch of different filmmakers to, to film with whatever they had, with whoever they had, and, and they're going to put that together. And uh, that's been compiled. It's a film called Isolation. They're in talks right now for distribution. And uh, my friend needed a big villain. And so he thought of me. I was the, uh, the biggest. Not, I'm not a big villain. A big person that can play a villain. And I put up my hand and said, I'll, uh, I'll do it. So I'm, I'm excited about seeing just how big I look on the big screen. And I'm not sure where it's going to end up. But when it comes out, I'm, um, I'm excited to see it. You're 6'11". What, what, what are you going now? What do you, what's your weight? Have you put on the quarantine 15 or 30? Or are you pretty light? Uh, I'm not light. I've, uh, I've actually lost a little bit during quarantine, but I, I definitely had something to lose. I still have some more to lose. So I knew this could go, uh, this could go even, even worse than it's been uh, going. And so I've been pretty, pretty mindful of uh, the, the caloric consumption. So uh, the number's been going down, but it's, uh, I'm nowhere near my playing weight. So I, I got a lot of work left to do, but so far I've been doing okay. 6'11", 3? What do you, in change? What do you uh, yeah, more than that, more than that. Yeah, somewhere in okay. that. Because I'm, 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 I'm now, I'm not, I'm forgetting about the shape part. I'm looking at the monster quality in the film. You're, you're scary as hell. You're 300. I mean, you're, that's, yeah. a, that's a big person. That's what he was looking for. He wanted, uh, he wanted a big, scary person. And, uh, and I was, I was the one for the job. So this will be my first uh, on-screen credit. This could be like, this could be like, you could, you could get the sequel to the, um, the seven foot guy, Richard something in, in the Bond movies. Remember? Jaws. Yeah. Yeah. Jaws would be would be Jaws great. would be yeah Jaws or um Sloth John two or something what's that Sloth from Goonies two hey you guys you know, something like that dude that was Matuzak that was perfect I've been working on it that's great uh all right uh when will this film come out I've got to hear about it so um it's been uh it's been filmed and it's been uh, turned over and i think the producer is now in talks with distributors to see where it's going to be so uh, an agreement hasn't been reached yet but uh i will be sure and, and let bruce know and so you can share it with your listeners um but i as of right now i don't know where to tell you to go because it, it uh, hasn't come out yet but um they're hopeful it won't be too long from now what is your next movie role going to be have you thought about it yet even I, uh, no one's been sending me any scripts and uh, I didn't have any uh, speaking lines. So if anyone needs a seven foot, 300 and plus pound person, um, people know, people know where to find me. So we'll, we'll see how this one goes, but the reviews aren't in for, uh, for my performance yet. We have to come up with, some, I might just write the screenplay myself. We have to come up with something with the pinball machines and you're some, you know, you're like the pinball wizard from Tommy and and you're deaf dumb and blind and the whole thing and you just you're, you're you're blowing up the scoreboard on the pinball machine but then you get angry and then you start i don't know annihilating people just i have an up. idea i What's have that, an Bruce? idea i mean has there ever been a pinball slasher movie no i've not seen one i think okay. there needs to be I, I think you're honest with them because once you develop your character and you don't want to get typecast, but look, you're a big villain and big villain and slasher. That's a short step. Anyway, uh, I'm leaving now. You guys finish. It's a, it's a great, hey, Bruce, if you can add to the, the conversation like that, you're always welcome on the program. Uh, uh, I guess we talk a little basketball. Uh, you've, it sounds like you've been watching a little bit. I haven't been watching as much as I thought I would, but now that the playoffs are here, uh, I'm drawn to it. Of course, Damian Lillard. And um, your thought on the NBA bubble playoff scene so far in basketball in general? 
I, I think it's been uh, it's been great. You know, like you, I, I like the playoffs, and so normally with 82 games of regular season, I don't watch uh, as many of them as I probably should. And uh, but now that the the playoffs are going, it's it's extremely compelling, and you you really see incredible effort. And I think guys are able to get the rest. And you know, the biggest question mark with there not really being a, a home court advantage is are you playing the early game or are you playing a late game? But uh, your your opponent is, is in that same uh, you know that same boat. So I think you're seeing a, a lot of guys, you know, rested. And I think you had, you know, guys that may have had injuries early in the season that were able to take care of those injuries and, and be ready to play. And uh, I think it's, you know, I, I've said before that this is this is sort of the year where anything can happen. And so I think an eight seed is not really an eight seed this year. And a, and a one seed and that home court advantage that you've built up that helped us so much in 2001 and helped us so much in 2002 to reach the finals is, is sort of null and, null and void right now. And so you can, you can take away some of those advantages and you're seeing some really competitive series. And, uh, you know, it's a little too early to be jumping to conclusions about, uh, you know, a, a seven-game series is, is still a long way to go. And, and the, the Lakers still have a lot of life left in them. But it certainly, certainly makes those series more interesting when the eighth seed is up one nothing on both of those sides. Oh, I, I think, shoot, if the Blazers knocked off the Lakers and LeBron – uh, I think I think they'd be that that Cinderella team that the country started to fall in love with in a way, because as great as LeBron is, um, he's still for you know thoughts unknown. Like it just he's you know he's as unpopular as he is popular in some ways, and he's um, while everybody can can pat him on the back for his social uh, beliefs and causes, the bottom line is is he rankles a lot of people on the basketball court. I, he's become like as, as big a villain as Shaq was in some ways over the years. Uh, do you, could you see the Blazers knocking them off? Uh, I, I think so. I mean, we, we don't have a ton of information, uh, but, we, you know, going off that first game, it certainly uh, looks like they have the ability, they have the firepower. And when you see what Damian Lillard is able to do, um, you know, good offense is, is always going to be a step ahead of good defense. And when you have the kind of range that Lillard has, um, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty incredible. And so he got interviewed here recently saying, you know, the, some of those, those shots from, you know, 37 feet, you know, how does that happen? He said, you know, this is the work that I, that I put in when I look at my game and how I could have improved it, adding distance and adding range was one way I could improve it. So I think he's that much of a professional and, and, you know, obviously a very talented scorer, but now when you have that kind of range where you're stepping just outside the NBA logo at, at half court and letting it fly. I'm not quite sure how you defend against that. And I think that's how he's been able to put up some, some massive numbers in the last couple of regular season games before the playoffs. And he's continuing that momentum. And I think he's on a mission. Didn't just want to come there and play those games out and be done. He's like, if we're going to go into this bubble and we're going to be away from our families, we're going to make this count. And so, uh, so I think they're, uh, you know, they picked up, picked it up on the defensive end. And with that scoring output, I I think they can uh, make this a really, really good series. I'm, it's a basketball philosophy conversation more than anything. I think we had part of it the last time you were on. I'm blown away that the the guys shoot from this far anyway. They're given the leash they are. And, I mean, I, I call it the Steph Currying of the game almost. And it's um, – I don't know if it's legislated your position out of the game, but I do miss the sort of inside-outside post-game that um, there was – you know, and, you know, Anthony Davis plays a little of it. And – but everybody's a stretch five now and a stretch four. And gosh, the, the, the genuine big man, the Joel Embiid, you know, when he's healthy, that, there, there's so few of them anymore. And in some ways, although I love 
watching these guys and the ball moves a lot faster in some ways than it used to, I still miss that inside-outside offensive game and the, and the role of the big man in the old days. Yeah, I, I do too, whether it's watching Akeem Olajuwon or somebody like, like Tim Duncan or, you know, even, even Shaquille O'Neal, that inside, inside-outside. Um, and I just wonder if someone like myself, you know, would have a role in, in today's game. And, you know, it, that, I think people don't even realize just how far that normal NBA three is and how, how much further it is uh, in college and how difficult it is. And so for these guys to be able to hit accurately from, from deeper, um, you know, change the game. And if you're, if you're a big man like myself that maybe had some trouble on, on some screens at the three-point line or the inability to switch in certain matchups, I think uh, someone like me, my role would be would be greatly reduced. And so, you know, it's a it's a different uh, it's a different game now. I mean, that's obviously almost 20 years since uh, since that that finals run. And in some ways, the game is the same, and in other ways, it's it's quite a bit different. And so, the the skill set of some of the big guys is absolutely incredible with what they're able to do. Um, and so, the game has changed, but I think it's uh, it's high scoring and still still very exciting. Uh, our producer, Bruce Bernstein, insists that bubble ball might be the purest form of basketball competition since there is no travel, no home court, no advantage for the team with a better record. Is Bruce tripping and out of his mind? No, I think, uh, I think Bruce has a, has a good point there where uh, everybody's on, a, on an equal, uh, you know, when you take out. I was hoping you wouldn't say that, but go ahead, yeah. I mean, basketball is just such a such a game of runs and, and emotion, and that and the the fans it it uh, affects you know what happens with the players going into an opposing gym, uh, you know, is very very difficult. And as you know, statistically, depending on on the game, there's there's always that home court uh, advantage, and that's all that's all gone now. And so some of those some of those runs just aren't going to be elevated by the crowd going crazy or you know Iverson getting so pumped up from the crowd and. Right. You know, getting a, getting an earful and just building on that energy and going into a timeout just just on fire and can, and can't wait to to get out there again. So, um, you know, I, I think the uh, the sound and the audio is definitely something that's that's different in the bubble, and I think they're working to try and get that energy back in there. But uh, the sound is something that uh, that sort of changes the optics of the of the game, and so yeah. the, uh, pumping in some of those sounds. Yeah, I, I miss it so I miss that part so much. I I think there's something to be said like. You, you know, it's like one of those, you're obviously playing for an NBA championship, but there's this, this sort of like a last game at the park quality to the whole thing where, you know, like, let's see who's going to win this. And there's nobody around and it's dusk and everybody's ready to go home. And, and uh, because there's it's genuinely outside of television, there's not a lot of people there. Um, I miss the days of shoot when you were at the 76ers and Iverson was going crazy and, and the days with the Nets uh, when, you know, shoot, I was covering the NBA for the New York Times. I was covering the Nets in 94. And it got loud a little bit at that arena, but nothing like when you guys got that thing going in 2000. I mean, that was the last time that New Jersey and basketball really sounded loud, probably as loud as it was since the ABA days when Dr. J was there. And so I, you know, so that part of it, yeah, I miss that. I miss that. Are, oh, apropos of nothing, are you, are you, uh, your, your old 76ers, uh, they look done for some reason. Your thoughts? I, I was hoping there'd be a better uh, better effort uh, yesterday to even up that series. And they, they started out uh, great. Embiid got off to a great start. But then uh, they're, they're certainly having a tough time matching up with, with Boston. And, uh, you know, Tatum, Tatum is sort of playing like, uh, like, a, like an MVP and playing with a lot of confidence for such a young player. And, 
you know, uh, you know, Thibel was was doing the best job he, he can. And, you know, seeing the, the highlights that I saw, Thibel is right there. He's just like a centimeter away from blocking mm. that shot. Um, but players like Tatum, if you don't if you don't physically, you know, foul him or, or somehow affect that trajectory, that ball is going in. Some of those great shooters just don't care how much of a hand they have in their face. They don't care, you know, what you're doing. If you haven't changed the trajectory of that shot, it's going in. And so uh, – a good offense is going to be one step ahead of good defense. And I feel like Thibault was just millimeters away on some of those shots and they went down. So there's definitely some matchup uh, issues there for the Sixers. And some of the, some of the body language kind of looked uh, towards late again. They just looked defeated. And I, I think it's hard to, to rebound from that, but they've got to find a way to refocus and come out with that same energy at the beginning and then, and then sustain it. And, uh, you know, a little bit, a uh, little bit crisper passes and, and take care of the ball a little bit, a little bit more. And hopefully they can get back in that series. Uh, I think Jason Tatum could be an MVP candidate within a year and a half, two years. I think he has that kind of ceiling and he just so special in so many ways. I mean, late game now, uh, he did a good interior passer. He just knows how to play. It's amazing. Yeah. He's uh, he's a fantastic uh, talent. And I think sometimes when you, when you get drafted a couple spots lower than, than you think you want to, you want to prove something yeah. I think, yeah, ever since the draft. He's been trying to prove that he probably should have been the uh, should have been the number one, and and um, certainly Boston was uh, happy that he he uh, went to third where he, where he uh, got drafted. You know, we, I've, we're glad we have you on because this the program's been so serious lately, and for good reason. I mean, a lot going on in the world and everything. Um, and I, I always keep saying, you know, that it's great that all this social messaging is good. You know, social conscience is going on and everything. But I almost feel like it's become commercial in some ways, too. Like, like uh, advertisers are now realizing if you go woke, you don't go broke. You can make money out of this. Um, do you, are you okay with the NBA doubling and tripling down on their social conscience messages? Do you think it gets in the way of the basketball? Uh, do you wish it was something apart from it? Or do you think it's necessary? No, I, I, th I think it's great what they're doing, you know, allowing uh, players to – um, you know, to have a message on their on their jersey and, and a lot of the commercials that you see during broadcast. So I, I think it's great that they're giving a giving a voice to the to the players to be able to, you know, concentrate on um, on those initiatives. So I, I think it's I think it's great that they're, they're supporting the players that way. And, uh, you know, I know some of the players maybe thought, you know, let's let's take a stance. Let's not play the season and let's make an impact this way. And, I you know, I was hoping that the majority of the players would think like, you know, let's play and then let's use that. Uh, um, you know, pulpit to be able to get our message out there. And so I, I think that's what most of the players ultimately decided was this is a good way to, uh, uh, to get the word out. My friend Howard Beck was on the program last week and said that, you know, it doesn't matter that the fact that these guys are making millions of dollars, uh, there is some mental health issues when you don't see your family that long, you're sequestered in this area. Uh, could you deal with that? I mean, you're, you're a family guy. You love, you know, you're like, could you deal with that? I, I guess they're bringing their, after the first round, you can bring in a few people, but for weeks now, I haven't seen anybody other than FaceTime. Yeah, it's definitely a, a challenge that I, I know when I played for uh, Team Canada, you know, I'd play an NBA season, then I would go and be, I'd be gone for a good chunk of the uh the summer so I think maybe that was something that I was used to in terms of international travel whether we were playing exhibition games in New Zealand or Australia or over in Europe um, so I think for myself I was sort of sort of used to being gone for uh, you know for extended periods um, but that was uh, that was before I had kids and, and everything everything changes when um, 
when kids come into the fold. So it would be a, it would be a big challenge, but uh, nothing lasts forever in this season. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll come to an end and they'll, they'll be able to spend a lot of time with their families at the conclusion of this, uh, of this bubble championship. You want, would you like to coach? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, uh, my, my son and I have been uh, playing a little bit of one-on-one in the, in the driveway, obviously uh, spending a lot of time outside and we've been working on some skills and I'm really trying to keep it fun. You know, I don't want to be a taskmaster and I, I want him to like the game and enjoy the game. And he's been going out there on his own and working on some crossovers and he's been, you know, doing some, some camps and, and clinics, you know, and uh, with, you know, some, a small number of kids. And I've been really impressed with uh, the improvement he's made and that I'm trying to grow it organically where he, he loves the game because he loves the game. And, uh, you know, he's got a nice little, little step back and, uh, and got a nice little runner going. So, you know, you know, fundamentally maybe, you know, I'm thinking maybe runners aren't the best thing to be teaching someone, but a lot of those shots are going in and, and you look at some of the creativity of Steph Curry yeah. and, and some of the floaters, I'm thinking, you know, maybe, maybe I don't want to tell him to be so regimented and, and just kind of play and enjoy the game. And then later he can work on, uh, you know, maybe more of getting his, getting his feet set, but uh, he's sort of playing, um, you know, playing his own game. And so that's been, that's been fun. So I think it's, it's fun to uh, be a participant, but uh, I haven't really done much, uh, much coaching. We'll, we'll see what happens in the future. So you're seven foot. Um, uh, how big is? How old is your? How old is your son? He's ten, and uh, he's probably five foot two, something like that. My twelve year old daughter is five seven. So uh, there's some good height in, uh, for my kids. My my wife is five seven, five eight. So she's kind of keeping them in check a little bit. But on average, they've been growing three to four inches a year. So they're they're sprouting up. And every time people see them, you know, post post quarantine, people were shocked that they've probably grown an inch or two in this in this time. So they've got good height, got good coordination. And, uh, and I just want them to love the game. So you, wait, wait, your wife is only five, seven or five, eight. That's, I mean, that's a tall woman for a regular person. Yeah, You're so seven good. footer. You must've had to pick her up for your wedding to dance with her. We, uh, we didn't have any dancing at the, at the wedding. She's uh, not big on dancing. So that, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't part of it. Okay. Like, what did you do at the wedding? That's just depressing, Todd. I think there was some drinking and uh, I think there was some, uh, some speeches and uh, some socializing and uh, a nice ceremony. And uh, I think there was a, a noise ordinance where we had to be out of there by 1030. So we, uh, it was a pretty, uh, pretty quick night. Can I interject something here, please? Yeah, go ahead. I think ridiculous. your wife, I think your wife must be like a goddess because she yes, isn't is. into dancing, which means that we don't have to be into dancing. Yeah. That is, uh, she, that, that is, <laughs> but like, but, but I, see, when I was in seventh grade, go ahead, Todd, I quit, yeah. Go ahead, what? Uh, she, she didn't want dancing and she didn't want me to smash the wedding cake in her face. And I said, that, that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with both of that criteria. So that's, uh, that's all I had to keep in mind. A few more. Um, I, you know, I realized, uh, I saw the other day that uh, Gordon Hayward is hurt again. He's got an issue um, with his ankles. And, you know, you had to retire because of nerve damage. Do pe- people don't understand how debilitating something like that can be. Can you, can you talk about it for a minute? What it, how, how depressing it was to try to get your body to work again and deal with that? Yeah, it was, uh, it was awful. And it's still, it's still not great. So, uh, you know, yeah. you, work, you work your whole life playing this game. And, uh, you know, you finally make it. I mean, it took me a little while to get my confidence in the NBA game. When I became a, a starter for the Nets and was a part of a team that reached the finals, I started to feel like, okay, maybe I, maybe I belong and, uh, and I can make it happen. I was starting to really get my confidence. And then all of a sudden my, my foot problems start. And I wasn't a great 
a shooter at that time. And I would, you know, limit my shots to five feet and in. And, and that worked, you know, on that Nets team, no one averaged more than 15 points and everybody shared it. So I, I always tried to stay with, within my game and not to try and take too many risks. But uh, for the, the, when I got traded back to the Sixers and I was hurt, uh, I spent basically I couldn't really run or jump, but I was a member of the team and I just shot the ball all year long. And, you know, friends of mine saw me hit 20 or 25 bank shots from 15 feet in. And, and I thought it was ironic that now that I'm hurt and I can't play in the NBA, I can now shoot the ball from distance. And it just seemed really, you know, ironic. And I would look around the stadium and see 20,000 people and think, I bet all of their feet work. And why can't I just have a pair of their feet? So just trying to, you know, rationalize. And, and you know, it's, it's not a typical basketball injury. You see guys in in casts or they have you know strains or sprains and you know this person's about four to six weeks and you can put a number on it and when I was going through the nerve issues no one could really say you know when this is going to be over and when you're going to be able to play again and uh, you know I'm still dealing with nerve issues now so it was very very difficult to be have the, the job of your dreams and to to be having success on good teams and be a part of them and uh, think that the future is very bright and then to all have that come crashing down was uh, you know was very difficult there's no doubt about it. Uh, I can't remember if I asked you this last time. My father suffered from neuropathy. Um, yeah. Did you have something that like that's that? Exactly as well? that? That's what I have. I have bilateral neuropathy and, right. and hard to know the proprioception and to know where my feet were in space and parts of my feet are burning and parts of them are numb. And at one point, I, I one of these pinball lights had ended up on the, I don't know if I'd changed out the light bulb, but it was... Uh, it ended up on the bathroom floor and I, and I stepped on it with my uh, flip-flop and, and cracked it and later went to physiotherapy and she said, do you want me to remove this shard of glass from the bottom of your foot? And I said, oh, that's right. I stepped on the light bulb. I didn't feel it. And so, yeah, for infection, let's take it out. So I, I, couldn't, I couldn't detect when I had some glass in there. And that's a, that's a problem when you're trying to know where, you're, where your feet are. And so that's been, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a challenge for me for the, you know, ever since I had to retire from it. Anybody that listens to this that's over a, uh, of a certain age can relate with ailments. <laughs> I've had this plantar wart on my uh, left foot that just, I've had it for like two years. I can't get rid of it. Try to freeze it off everything. I'm going, you know, it's uh, all I'm trying to do is, you know, run up and down the, the cul-de-sac and I can't, I can't, can't get rid of this thing. You're not asking too much. No. Keep, keep fighting. Keep fighting. You'll get, you'll get that thing. Freeze it again. Right. I feel like just, cutting it out myself like going out about an inch i'm sure you've had ailments like that where i have one in my hip now where if i just had pliers that could go through my skin and take out whatever's bothering me in my hip it'd be great of course then i would be um i'd be arrested for malpractice on myself um they're they're probably working on something to be able to go in there more non-invasively but you're gonna have to wait for that technique what uh before I let you go, what's Todd McCulloch going to do today? What's he going to do with the family today? Uh, today, uh, I'm going to take my daughter to uh, swim lessons and uh, I'm going to shoot some hoops with my son outside. And um, I think uh, we're, we're uh, I got a little bit of golf this uh, this evening with uh, with some some fellas. So it's uh, it's nice to socially distance on the on the golf course and and uh, enjoy some uh, enjoy some quality time outside. Bainbridge Island's got a golf course, huh? There are a couple of a couple of uh, golf courses on the island, and so uh, you get to know them. You get to know them pretty well, and there there's some really nice courses here. Do you go fishing at all? Uh, yeah, I just went uh, fishing just about a couple weeks ago on the Metal River in Eastern Washington, and 
and had a, an amazing guy named uh, Kevin Van Buren out there. I think it's, I think I want to say it's Cascade Fly Fishing. Oh, give him yeah, give him some uh, give him some pub. I love giving fly 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 fishermen and guides all kinds of love. Kevin Van Buren over there in uh, Winthrop, fantastic. He's taught me how to fly fish in 1999. Uh, after I think Keith Van Horn may have taken me the first time, and he may have regretted it because he had a beautiful sage rod and he let me use it. And I, I broke it. I don't know what I did. So I, Van Horn didn't invite me uh, fishing again after uh, after that. But uh, I think Sage has a lifetime warranty. And so they're uh, they're based here on Bainbridge Island. So uh, I think he was able to get that fixed. But, oh, but uh, he got it. Keith probably got into that in Utah when he was. Yeah, there. yeah, he was. Uh, he was he very got good. The Provo River and all those places. What, what'd you get? What'd you get um, at on the river in eastern Washington? Uh, trout, steelhead, salmon. What'd you get? All trout, rainbow trout, uh, cut uh, cut bows and, yep. um, and cutthroat and uh, about dolly a, a 20, vardens. Uh, yeah, we caught those uh, before. There's some there's some white fish there. Uh, this time about a 20 inch uh, rainbow is the best. I think oh. I I'd, I'd lost uh, you know five or six in a row, and I just felt like a horrible fisherman. And you know when the guide is telling you like set it, set it, it's uh, it's a little too late for you. And so I finally hooked into a big one. I, if I lose this one, I'm jumping out of the boat. And fortunately, uh, he landed it for me, and I felt like, okay, no matter what happens the rest of the day, I got this one in the net. And we we uh, we cruised the river for four hours and didn't see another. It was my brother-in-law and myself and Kevin, and we didn't see another human. It just felt like we had rented oh. that river, and it was uh, just just beautiful. Yeah, crystal clear river, beautiful day. Oh. Uh, it was a great way to spend the uh, morning. Do you remember what kind of fly you got him off? Was it a nymph or a dry? Uh, got him on a stone fly. Ooh. Because yeah. they're obviously they're hatching this time. I always love the, the the people that are so into it. I love like when they do the whole match the hatch and they try and get some of the insects and look at them. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. There's a real science to it, and uh, yeah. I just the guy you know he fishes that river every day, so he knows. And I, uh, I I try and take instruction well. It's it's like having a coach out there. Yeah, a river runs through it. It's like got to be my top five of all time. I'll never leave Montana, brother. <laughs> I love it. All right, sir. Uh, be safe. Uh, be healthy. Oh, one thing. I, I have a got a kid who's turning ten too, and I love to ask this of all. It doesn't matter if it's Jamal Crawford, David Stern, who was really kind enough to join us before his passing. Um, like I always ask him, what what's the best thing for a dad a, a dad to do for a young child that you don't want to push him, um, but you obviously want him to to enjoy sports. What, what you kind of gave a little bit of that earlier, if you could expound on it a little bit, I think it'd be really helpful for not just me, but our audience. Yeah, I think just to, just to encourage them, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll take a cue from, from my father who was always uh, so supportive and, you know, would, would tell me all the positive things that I, that I did. And, and then, you know, that carried on through high school and college. And then in the NBA, I'd get on the team bus and there'd be a voicemail from my dad saying, Hey, great game. You did this well. And then I couldn't play anymore. And then he would say, hey, great broadcast. I loved when you said this. And so um, just, you know, just to be so, so positive and to, uh, you know, not put in a bunch of external pressure on them and not try and live vicariously through them. They're, they're their own people. They're on their own journey. And so I, I'm just trying to be out there and facilitate having fun. And that's the reason I played is because basketball was fun. And, and when it got, uh, you know, there's a couple of times where I wanted to, to hang it up when it, you know, when it wasn't fun anymore. So I'm really trying to, trying to keep that in perspective and have a good time with the sport and realize that, you know, you know, a very small percentage of people make it, uh, you know, to the NBA. So that you know, professional shouldn't necessarily be your goal. But let's let's get better. Let's work on skills. Mm. Let's learn how to be part of a team, and let's be realistic about what what the outcomes are going to be here. So let's not uh, let's not like act like it's NBA or bust. 
You got to get him playing with Jamal Crawford's son across the across the river. That, that would uh, that would help him a lot. Jamal's a, a great great guy, and used to work out with him a little bit when he was uh, just before. Uh, yeah, he was just coming out of high school. He used to come and play pickup oh, with Rich Washington, and he was. I could tell then how special he was going to be, and I was really hoping he would, uh, you know, come come play for us because of his ability. And so, he's a great great guy, and he's had a, obviously a fantastic career. I think you should be somewhat connected when they do get an NBA franchise again in Seattle. You should be somewhat connected with it, whether you're doing community relations or whatever. It would be, I think, take every great player in that area and just make them part of the franchise. There's some good Seattle basketball history and some, some good talent in this area. So I think that's a great idea. All right. All right, sir. When this pandemic ends, I'm going to get out there at some point. If I get to Seattle, I'm going, uh, I'm close to Bainbridge. I have to come see you. You absolutely have to. No, no quarters necessary. Everything's on free play. It's on the house. <laughs> Thanks, Todd McCulloch. I really appreciate the time. And um, as always, man, bless you and your family. Okay, same to you. Thanks a lot. That was dope. Okay, people, it's time to wrap this up. Thanks to my guest, former NBA center Todd McCulloch, for his time and wisdom. Thanks also to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, we got a little airtime this week. And to our editor, Tom Phillip. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. Full Court Press with Fanton and Adams has a new show every Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin, most recently featured Nuggets beat writer Kendra Andrews of The Athletic. And Monica McNutt and King McClure are here each Thursday with buckets, boards, and blocks. And, of course, B.J. Armstrong is back with Eric Newman on the Pure Hoops podcast which drops every Friday. I'm back next Monday with a brand new edition of the Mike Wise Show from Pure Hoops Media. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. This is the Mike shares the love portion of the program. Listen up, friends. We are not out of the woods with the COVID-19 pandemic. So please keep our medical professionals and essential workers in your thoughts. They're putting it all on the line for us, and they're truly today's superheroes. Continue to maintain social distancing. Wash your hands 20 seconds or more, and wear that mask to protect yourself and others. Please keep working for social justice with our fellow citizens of all races and religions who are striving for a more inclusive society. If you like The Mike Wise Show, please subscribe, rate us, review us, leave us a five-star rating. I'll pay you. It means a lot. I'll be back next week and we'll be talking playoffs. See you then. Peace. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.